Hi, this is Karen Kelly, and you're listening to An Appetite for Life. There's a great mix on this show with various topics, amazing guests, and the occasional celebrity guest. So welcome to the show, and my guest today is a retired police officer, and she's author of Be Kind, No Excuses, which is a guide to help teenage girls recognize abusive behaviors in intimate relationships. So my guest today is Ree Pearson. So welcome, Ree. Hello. Thanks very much for having me today. Uh, so Ree, you're a retired police officer with 27 years in the force. That's incredible. So tell us about your career. Well, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was young, when I left school. So um, I don't think any of us did. <laughs> I was kind of, I used to, there used to be um, me and my friend, Janet, who lives in Holland now. She's more Dutch now than English. But um, we used to check out every Thursday night. There used to be a, an advert in a local paper. And one day I was coming back from work and I saw two policewomen. Um, and they were in the street. It was a sunny day. They were laughing and having a really good time outside a bakery and they had pies and stuff and I thought oh I can do that easily yeah I I (laughs) can laugh outside a bakery and eat some pies (laughs) cake if there's cake I'm there and um, I saw that and then the following Thursday when Janet and I were checking out that local newspaper I mean it was a newspaper it wasn't online I go it was the 80s and there was an ad there was an advert for the local police force so I applied so I I blame Lynn and Margaret, who I actually subsequently met. (laughs) It's all their fault. So how long was the training then? Because I know it's quite intense. I think you might need a a degree now, don't you, if you wanted to become a police officer. What was the training like back then? It was it was fun actually. Um, you went. Did you eat they, cakes all the time, Henry. <laughs> you ate a lot actually, because about twenty five percent of the training when you, they sent you away. Um, I went to Durham headquarters, which was Akeley Heads, but there's different places around the country. Um, and twenty five percent of your time is actually in physical training. You know, you're getting fit. You're learning how to restrain people you're learning how to do your life-saving certificate in the swimming pool so you eat a lot I mean literally and I was like this skinny (laughs) (laughs) I was running running everywhere I was doing like um ridiculous amounts of running because they kept you there and you slept there um they don't do that anymore it's not I don't think it's a residential anymore but um being it being residential was like part of the the fun of it really but you yeah. spent a lot of time you were completely immersed in it so they would say um you can't go out so you were there like from a Sunday night till a Friday afternoon and you would do anything to get off site so I used to go for a seven mile run wow. just to get off the campus do you know what I mean it was mad it was really good fun I bet but, it was. and then and then you do two years in your probation so at some point if you're if you're useless you can they can get rid of you but <laughs> <laughs> it's you know obviously the policing is a very intense thing and you see yeah. people at their worst but you see people at their best as well and I always figured I was very privileged to be able to go and and have the powers that are given to a police officer I mean you can take somebody's liberty which is yeah. huge that's huge just talking about your training I'm going back many years myself as well it must have been gosh it may have been the early 90s and I had an interview for the police I think this is before my cabin crew career, I can't remember. And we went to Wales for the weekend 
because I loved it. I loved the idea of going to Wales doing all this fitness. Yeah. But you were, weren't really allowed to speak unless you were spoken to during the training. And I kept opening That's my weird. mouth because I can't keep quiet. I think I was number eight. Number eight, 10 press-ups. I couldn't do a press-up for the life of me. I still can't. But I did absolutely love the whole idea of it and the training and the beep test and all the rest of it. I did love yeah. it, to be fair. I did. You get a little heart, yeah, your heart's going because you think I've got to do the beep test. Yeah. And, and you're like worried and you're worried. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But if you've got any level of fitness, you could do the beep test in the time required in the backwards crab very easily, couldn't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're still worried. You're still worried. I was on my, my intake. We used to have to do a mile and a half run in like 11 and a half minutes or something. Oh my god! Um, oh yeah, that's not. And, that's but good. I was, good, yeah, yeah. I was my intake. I was with a guy whose his brother's an Olympic medal winner. <laughs> so he was. Paul was always like, "Come on, come on," because he knew how to run because it's like his DNA. Yeah, cool. I <laughs> had the training. So I was like, I was really fortunate that he was there because I was never a runner really. Um, but then you had to be. So I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to do the job. I have to, I have to be a runner. Yeah, yeah. So fit, yeah, you have to you have to be fit. You have to be fair. So, Re, you were appointed as a, a domestic violence officer. So, how how far into your role were you appointed that, and how old were you? Gosh. And also, um, how did you feel about that? Is that the direction that you wanted to go into? No, no, no. I'm not at all. I had, um, I'd got a job in what they used to call the crime desk. So, I had an indoors job. I had started my family. I was in my late twenties. It's actually my son's birthday day. Oh, happy birthday. So 28 years. Wow. <laughs> so I was in my late 20s and um, it, it was in the in the 90s. So there were not that many female officers around. No. And somebody, a female officer, had to have the job of the domestic violence officer in the police station. Yes, the domestic violence officer would call the, the victims the following day and say, oh, you know, don't worry it will be all right. So like do all that pink and fluffy stuff, which was yeah. really very patronizing. Yeah. But and it was then, all... isn't it funny when at the time we just accept that was our role? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. It was just yeah. like, what? Uh, also really dangerous just to ring them. Yeah. Just, you know, without any thought about it, you just like pick the phone up and ring them. Anyway, yeah, exactly. it was always a pregnant policewoman. And the pregnant policewoman at the time was having a really difficult pregnancy and she called in sick. So um, at the time she called in sick when the boss is coming off the phone and walking past his office door and he shouted me in and he said, Jane's not well. Um, you're going to have to do this job now. And I was like, I don't want, I don't want to so do no that No training job. or anything? No. <laughs> no, you're laughing at me. Training? So no training to be a domestic officer. Okay. It was, it was like 1996 or something. It's like yeah. no training. You just learn um, a job. You learn another job, don't you? Well, it, it, and it wasn't about safeguarding. No. At all. I don't even think that word had been invented then. No, no, it's a different world now, isn't it? Yeah, totally. completely different. But what happened was I looked at it. And the, the boss said to me, because I said, oh, you want me to ring them and you want me to count paper clips and tell you how many incidents there have been the next morning? And what's the point? What's the point? And he said, all right, then let's look at it because... He knew that the majority of calls that were domestic related would be repeat calls. Like if you phone the police in your, if you phone 999, your heart's pounding, right? But how many times in your life do you have to do that? Exactly, yeah. If you, if you get burgled, maybe, I don't know, depends on, certainly in Northumberland, 
probably never. Um, if you get burgled, it might be once in a lifetime thing. If you get your car stolen, it might be a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. If you're a victim of domestic abuse in your home, it's constant. Yeah, because women, so, tend, women and men tend to just kind of, um, well, I don't mean accept it, but they don't believe it's happening at first, do they? So it, it's Well, they don't like know that time. it's abusive at first. They don't know. And by the time you're in that relationship and you're in a home together and, you know, so they, these calls are coming in. Yeah. repeatedly coming into the police and they're a drain on police resources so the boss said to me see what you can do to reduce that was my job was to reduce the number of repeat victims so I was like right okay I'll do that and that's where I started really didn't want to didn't want it I didn't have any choice he told me he was the chief inspector I just did as I was told so was your career mainly in that area then as a domestic violence what, well, what happened off the back of that rule, the things I did at that police station area, um, they, I then got a job at the headquarters. So I was working sort of more strategically. So the things that I brought in then went wider. And then the, um, there, were, there was a piece of research done, which was um, 50 homicide reviews of domestic murders. And off the back of that, we developed a risk assessment process so that because, of, of course, it's a business. I know the police is a service, but at the end of the day, it's a business and yeah, people have resources and you have to put your resources in the best place that they will be best used and needed. So we had to go, well, you know, is this person, <laughs> it's horrible, really, is this person likely to die or be at risk of serious harm? I know. Yeah. So these people who were would get lots of resources thrown at them. They would get social services. They would get extra attention from healthware, health health visitors. You know, all of those things would be focused on that family rather than everybody getting the same level of service. Because you know, a one-off argument isn't a high-risk thing. No. You know, some sometimes like the neighbour would ring if next door was having a big fight that might be a one-off fight and obviously the police have to go and it is dealt with but that you know that's a one-off thing whereas something that's constant um violence and abuse and comes over and over again that needs a lot more attention than that that one-off one -off. fight even though that one-off could potentially end up quite serious couldn't it oh well yeah it could but if it's if it's a one-off fight then it's a one-off fight but if if that then evolves and becomes another fight, then, then yeah. it's not a one-off, is it? Yeah, so yeah. it's about looking at um, the, the, the number of incidents and then the risk level attached, like the seriousness and yeah. risk of harm attached to each one. But then there's always, there could always be, and, and it happens where, you know, you only have to hit somebody once to kill them. That's exactly. fair enough. Exactly, I know. It is, it's a minefield, isn't it? It's awful, yeah. So, but with your career, which is a fantastic career, you're no longer in the police force now, are you? So when did, you, when did, you, when did you retire? 2015. Wow. So I retired. Well, not that long ago. Really? Six, six and a half years. Oh, six wait. and a half years, yeah. Wow. I had that to retire with ill health, but um, yeah, I retired on my 50th birthday. Oh, good time to go. Life, time life to go, begins yeah. at 50. Life <laughs> yeah. again begins at 50. Yeah. So, Ree, your career offered a vast amount of knowledge and a real understanding of, of the difficulties faced around this subject, so much so that you've written a book, Be Kind, No Excuses. So tell us about the book. What was the final inspiration that made you, you know, want to create it? 
I had the book in my head already. I've been thinking about it. There are there are lots of books out there about, um, you know, I came out of an abusive relationship, how I survived, my husband tried to kill me. I thought I would go back right to the beginning because my previous career I'd always dealt with after the fact. Right. But if you look at relationships, people get into relationships with people who are going to abuse them. They do not get into relationships that then become abusive. It's already there right at the beginning. But they don't know that. They don't know that. No, of course not. They don't know that. And people don't know what the red flags are. When I started talking about red flags, people were saying to me, what are you talking about? And I was saying, well, look at people's behavior. You know, look at what they do. Look at what they say. Look at how they behave. And if you think about it, you will see that they are manipulating you. Yeah, you can you can see the signs. But as outside, you can see can the see signs. Them, you can, I can see them because I've had lots of training. You talk about training. When I went into the DV job, I didn't get any training. But then I was in the perfect storm because yeah. I worked in a place called Gateshead. And Gateshead Council were brilliant. They set up what they called the Safer Families Project, which was the first in the country, I believe, where they worked with perpetrators victims and children and they got lottery funding for that so I begged my boss to be part of that gig and I was and it was just amazing the stuff that I learned because I knew nothing I was given that job and I knew nothing my attitude towards domestics was oh no not another domestic which was pretty much the culture a lot of a lot of the culture not every officer obviously but the culture was very much because obviously legislation then is different from legislation now and a lot of incidents are what you call common assaults which are, there are different levels of assault obviously from common assault up through gets worse gets worse gets worse so common assault back then was not an, an offense for which you could be arrested yeah so police officers could didn't have a power to arrest people and it was very very frustrating for them yeah so yeah i my idea for the book came i was on a obviously this business network that I'm part of. And I said to people, because everybody was panicking, they're like, we're going to lose our business. We've gone into lockdown, you know, and I wanted to kind of lighten the mood. And I said, what are you going to do with the extra time that you've got now? You know, can we bring something positive out of this? And I mentioned on that meeting that I had the idea for a book, which was about prevention rather than after the fact. Yeah. And they basically, they just nagged me into doing it. <laughs> they were just like on my case all of the time. Every time we had a meeting, it was like, how many chapters have you written? What have you done? What's happening with this? Are you going to talk to this person? This person's already had a book published, you know, but it's a business network and they push you. They, that's what they're there for. They, yeah. they push you to do things. And I ended up in conversation because the book itself is, is a series of it's five stories that I didn't write them. They're five women who um, I was introduced to. And they're telling their true life and, stories of how yeah. they got into these um, abusive relationships. Yes. Yeah. And then what I've done is I've unpicked each story and put the red flags in as I see them. And yeah. um, the, the red flags are there. And I, I asked the ladies to, oh, lovely ladies, they're so brave to tell me. Um, they, they told me their stories about right from the beginning, from when they met this person or these people. One of the ladies is like multiple oh, abusers. Yes. And it was just, it's heartbreaking, but you can see the red flags right from the beginning. Ray, we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a few minutes. 
Let me introduce our sponsor, Everything Genetic Limited, specialists in preventative healthcare testing, helping people to identify to see if they are at risk of developing common hereditary cancers and heart conditions. Based in Nantwich, Cheshire, they partner with some of the UK's market-leading laboratories, supplying revolutionary genetic tests to healthcare providers and patients for the detection, diagnosis and treatment planning of cancer, heart disease and other illnesses. One of their main aims is to democratise genetic testing, meaning everyone can take control of their own well-being and healthcare to detect any problems at an early stage when they are most treatable. They also offer a COVID testing service which is on the government list, initially launched to support clinical partners who were unable to get patients in during the pandemic. This service enables patients to come back into clinics to resume all important cancer testing and is available through over 200 partner companies. They offer a comprehensive range of coronavirus COVID-19 test kits and services for individuals, healthcare providers and employers. For more information, visit their website, everythinggeneticlimited.co.uk. The First Lady, the first book, um, he stepped over, because you put boundaries in place in your relationships, he stepped over a boundary about 15 minutes after they'd met. So things like um, jealousy and uh, having that power or, or not liking their women to go out with their friends or see their family. Some women, certainly uh, maybe of a certain age or vulnerability, they would see that as a love, wouldn't yeah. they? And yeah. oh, they, they really don't want to share me with anybody. They just want me all to themselves. It's a good thing, kind of. They're not seeing those red flags or they don't want to see them. Isolation is one of the high risk um Isolation is high risk. So when we were doing the 50 homicide review, out of the 50, well, I didn't do the 50 homicide review. I did the risk assessment after that. But if you read that document, isolation is up there. Yeah. Um, is one of the, the top high risk things. So if this person is jealous and doesn't want you to see your friends, doesn't want you to see your family, moves you away, puts you somewhere else, tells you bad things about your friends, so you see yeah. less of your friends and you're isolating yourself. If Or if you're the kind of, we're talking about women here, if you're the kind of woman who's like, I don't need female friends, I hang out with the guys, and you're isolating yourself anyway, so doing his work for him, you know, jealousy is never a positive thing. No. Never. never. It's not love and it's not caring. It's coercing. Well, this is why they don't see those signs because they read it all wrong. But like you say, when you've spoken to these, I don't like calling them victims, but they're talking about their stories. They can yeah. probably see the signs now, can't they? Yes. And if you, really? look at the, if you look at the reviews from a book, a lot of people have said, I wish I'd had this when I was a teenager. Yeah. Which is heartbreaking. So what are the red flags are there that you can share with us? Okay, the, the book was written intended to be for teenage girls. Yeah. Um, it so happens that big girls don't know the red flags either. And neither <laughs> do big boys, because boys can be in abusive relationships too. Of course, yeah. Um, so let's, I'll give you a couple of examples. You go to the cinema with your mates and you've got a new boyfriend. And when you come out of the cinema, your new boyfriend's there and he says, oh, I knew you were here. I just thought I'd come and walk you home. Is that caring or is that watching you to make sure that you are with the people who you said you would be with? Well, you see, if that was the first time, 
that the, the the person might think, oh, how lovely he's come to walk me home. Yes. But then if it was happening time and time again, yeah, yeah. red flag. Red flag. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. What about turning up at your house without telling you that they're coming? Are they checking to make sure that you're in because you said you'd be at home? Another red flag. Yeah. Texting all of the time. Where yeah, are you? Definitely. Where are you? What are you doing? Yeah. I tell you what really winds me up as well. What are you thinking? Gosh. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's yeah. a biggie. Yeah, so there, there are lots of under the radar stuff yeah. that's nowhere near criminal. I mean, if you look at people, older people, you know, older older women, older men in relationships, the majority of the abuses are not criminal. But then they build up and build up and build. It just up. builds and up. Yeah, and telling a joke at somebody's expense—that's another one. You know, if, if somebody tells a joke at your expense and you're not laughing, it's not a joke. Yeah. And then you say, well, I don't think that's funny. And then the abuser says, oh, you've got no sense of humor. Exactly. Or I was I was just pulling your leg or, oh, I didn't mean it. Yeah. Well, actually, I would just turn around to them and say, tell me in that joke what was funny. Could you explain it to me, please? Yeah. And the other thing as well that you hear is um, telling that other person in the relationship what to wear don't wear that whether it's yeah. too revealing if it's a female or because uh, they don't want to attract attention to their partner sort of thing and then they're thinking it's wonderful so they're yeah. literally covering up and not wearing but there's, there's a there's a poem which oh I can't remember who wrote it now Becky somebody and, and it's basically for women it's like well if you if you don't if you don't wear sexy clothes you're you're a, you're frigid or you're a frump yeah. but if you wear sexy clothes you're a whore yeah you can't win um, if you're quiet, you're, um, you know, you're too shy, you're not good enough. But if you're outspoken, you're just like a man. Yeah, you can't win. Can <laughs> you you? Can't. And there's like this whole poem, which is brilliant. I wish I could remember her name. You will after the um, show, you'll remember it. I will, you I will. yeah, I will, yeah. <laughs> is there any particular stories or families that you've come across that are kind of really resonated with you? Oh, God. There, there, there are so many, and obviously I can't talk about specific yeah specific cases but I did have a lady whose partner was so violent he was so utterly violent um her children all taken off her oh gosh it's heartbreaking um, that and she without going too much detail yeah and um, she was really victimized by the system and did she manage to get her children back down the yeah. line oh my goodness so she's still living with that then still yeah. living with that abuse yeah. and he was vile he was utterly I mean we had camera cameras in the house and we you know it was recorded and he was beating her up lit I mean properly beat not like tv beating her up guys oh. I'm talking I'm talking like properly beating her up oh, gosh. like yeah. horrendous Unedited. in, in front of tiny children so what are your thoughts on how violence against women is tackled in the UK okay and how is it tackled in the UK now there are lots of brilliant organizations. But like I said earlier, my work is about prevention rather than cure. Yeah. And I just had a meeting with a lady this morning who's working in education. Her organization is working about working in prevention. And um, in the UK, there, I mean, domestic abuse happens in the home. Yeah. If you look at the statistics, if I if somebody, if people read my book and I can reduce the number of victims as reported by the British Crime Survey, if I can reduce those numbers by half of 1%, that's 11,500 people in a year. 
Wow. Oh, 1%. So the, the figures are ridiculous. Yeah. Violence outside the home in the UK, violence against women in the UK in the last 12 months is absolutely gobsmackingly disgusting. Yeah. And the thing is, it's well, it's going on. It could be your next door neighbour, next door but two. It's going on all around you. It's yeah. not just in the in certain areas, is it? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. How how? Because I'm I'm going to say something controversial. Okay. The problem is men. Mostly, if you look at statistics, it's mostly men who murder. Yeah. It's mostly men who are violent, and it's only men who rape. We need to look at men working with boys to teach them respect and yeah, empathy and educate them from a young across age, across the board yeah you know yeah. um as for how the government deals with it when sarah everard was murdered um the, the government said they would give 25 million pounds to make the streets safer now i don't know about you but i've never been assaulted by a lamppost i have occasionally fallen off a curb and hurt myself <laughs> yeah I see um, point. the streets are not unsafe yeah Men outside are unsafe. Yeah. They said 25 million. Domestic abuse and violence against women cost this country 66 billion pounds a year. Well, I'll tell you what I did want to, while we're talking about that, let's just brush on Claire's law because this is a domestic violence disclosure scheme, isn't it? Just explain yeah. to our listeners what that okay. is. If, you have, if you're concerned that you know somebody who um, may have violence in their past you can ask the police to tell you about their violence in the past but surely so, that person if she's had to get to that far to ask a police officer or to research that for her she shouldn't be going out of them anyway i would say that the majority of people who ask about claire's law are not the person who's in the relationship it's a person that they know right so yeah. it'll be their friend or their sister yeah. or their mum yeah, yeah. I see. Um, and what happens is the police will pull together the information and they will give the information to the person who is at risk right so for example if my sister got into a relationship with somebody who i thought was dangerous yeah i could go to the police they would pull the information together and then they would if they found anything they would give the information to my sister they wouldn't, so wouldn't give go it to, to me you, even though you'd made the inquiry yeah. yeah, but fine. it's so good that that's in place, though, isn't it? Yeah, it How didn't. Amazing it didn't. Before, when I was um, working back in uh, Gates, when I first back in the nineties, <laughs> that wasn't in place, and you were. It was very strict about um, what you could disclose to people. Yeah. So what I used to do because these abusers, abusers, have some kind of spidey sense where they can find people to abuse, and you know it's it's almost it's bizarre they're like bees who find the right flower and yeah. because people don't choose to be abused you don't get into abusive relationships and then get into another one because what happens is that that other one targets you they have some kind of spy sense yeah well they can see um, how vulnerable you are can't they absolutely and yeah. so when so people when you say to people who've been in another abusive relationship oh you do pick them don't you well actually they no, don't they, they are yeah. chosen yeah. so going back to this back in the 90s um it had to not disclose so what i would do is because the and it was for my in my personal experience my high-risk victims were always female and the perpetrator was always male yeah so the man would get into another relationship with another woman 
And I wasn't allowed to say anything. I wasn't allowed to say anything. So what I would do is I would find that other woman, the new girlfriend, and I would get in touch with her and I would tell her what my job was. And I would say, I'm PC Pearson and I work with very high risk victims of domestic violence. And when I say high risk, I mean people who we think are going to be seriously harmed or murdered. And I am working with your partner's ex. Oh my goodness. (laughs) How did that go down? Not very well with him. And I guess guys used to turn at the police station. Absolutely. I need to speak to PC Pearson. And I would go, yeah. And and they would say, well, she's, she's dumped me. And I would say, you're going to try harder, mate, because I will continue to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Because I would rather stand in a coroner's court and well, I'd rather not stand in a coroner's court at all, but I'd rather be standing in the box giving evidence about why I had disclosed rather than in a coroner's court about why After I hadn't disclosed and somebody's been killed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you know, Re, I could talk to you all day about this subject. Um, but just before we go, can you just tell me about your mission? What's your mission about this book? My mission is to get it in the hands of every 14 year old in the UK and then across yeah. the world. But for anybody over 14, read the book. Read the book. I mean, no, everybody knows somebody who needs to read the book. Brilliant. So where can we buy this book? Where is it? What's all your contact details, social media pages, social media pages, and uh, where we can get the book from? Okay, my website is repearson.com. You can buy it directly from there, or you can go through the website or go directly onto Amazon. Uh, Re Pearson, that's the only book I've written so far. And so it's available. (laughs) There's another one in the the computer right now. Um, My... Social media on Facebook and Instagram is Be Kind, No Excuses. Um, I do have a private Facebook group to talk about toxic relationships, but you're vetted before you come in. So if you're prat, please don't ask to join. Um, As it is. As it is. Could have been worse. Um, And I have YouTube as well. So um, I interview people on my social media and then those interviews where they're allowed will go up onto YouTube. It's also Be Kind, No Excuses brilliant oh it's been just brilliant talking to you today I could keep on talking to you it's so interesting so uh, thanks for sharing everything today and I wish you all the best with the book thank you Karen absolutely my pleasure you've been listening to my podcast appetite for life also supported by sponsor Dane Bank House Dental Practice where happiness starts with a smile Would you like to be a guest on this show? Or maybe you're interested in a sponsorship package. For any further information, you can find me across various social media platforms as Karen Kelly Podcasts or send me an email, karenenderkelly at btinternet.com.